Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 31, Kingdom Diversity, a dialogue with Dr. Walter Strickland. This is Reed Monahan, and I am broadcasting live from the Power of Change Worldwide Kitchen Table at my house here in Blacksburg, Virginia. Uh, I just rolled in last night from a, a really late trip, got in after midnight. I was hoping to uh, get this little introduction recorded for you guys um, last night, but just was wiped out. And so I set up my little portable podcasting studio here uh, in the in the kitchen and wanted to just uh, give a little shout out to what you're about to hear. Uh, my friend Jesse Fury has done a wonderful interview with Dr. Walter Strickland. They, now he'll introduce himself there in the interview. But he is the Vice President of Diversity Initiatives at Southeastern Baptist Theological S- Seminary down there in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And what you're about to hear is an excellent uh, discussion of how we should interact or ki- could possibly interact around racial issues, social justice, uh, ethnic diversity within the beautiful uh, panoramic transcultural transtemporal kingdom of God. And um, I love the tone of this interview because it neither dismisses real issues of justice um, that are implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ, nor does it do so in a way that, you know, you could just kind of feel like people want to blow each other up over it and not uh, to come alongside. You're going to hear this phrase a lot, to come alongside one another as sisters and brothers in love so that we might work to manifest the kingdom that is birthed through the gospel when individuals from all over the world uh, become followers of Jesus, forgiven for their sins, Christ dies for their sins, they become part of his family. And then how do we work to manifest the rule and reign of Jesus, the kingdom of God, in our lives as disciples together? We have a beautiful future uh, that it's full of all the diversities of colors and languages and peoples that someday will worship, right, Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords together. Dr. Strickland's going to give us some uh, some wisdom. Uh, he's going to flow out for us today in a way that I think will be helpful wherever you stand uh, in the spectrum of interacting with these very important issues that have traveled with the American experience uh, for many years, but travel with many Christians all over the world where tribal and ethnic and familial uh, difficulties, right, have traveled with the human race since the fall of humanity. Enjoy the interview, and I'll be back shortly to wrap us up. All right, I've got a special guest with us here at the Gospel Underground. I have Dr. Walter Strickland uh, with us on uh, on the Google. We're doing the Google Hangout because Dr. Strickland is down in uh, in Wake Forest at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, which, in my unbiased and humble opinion, is probably the greatest seminary there is. Uh, also, where I finished my degree last year. So, uh, Walter, hi. Thank you for joining. Hey, man, it's going to be here with you. And also, uh, congratulations on finishing that degree. I was glad I was there when you received it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That was a fun moment for me, uh, finally, after um, really a long, long time, mid-career, long, uh, long journey, probably about a eight or 10-year MDiv, uh, which is not uh, not probably the way to do it. But, you know, you just do it that way sometimes. So, but hey, it's done. Yeah, it's done now, and uh, that is a good thing. So, now, Dr. Strickland is going to, you know, I'm going to call you Walter. Is that okay? Yeah, you know, either, either way, either way. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Walter, you have been at Southeastern for how long? Uh, it's just over five years now. This is my sixth year. Sixth year at Southeastern. Okay. And, uh, and now I am sure that you have been listening all the time to the gospel underground, but let me give you a little primer just in case, you know, so what we're doing here with the gospel underground is we're really trying to live in the borderlands between the church and culture and, uh, and really kind of turn our attention in both directions, uh, so that we're helping the church think about culture. We're, we're really trying to help engage people in the culture, think about church. And so, um, and so we're, that's kind of where we're living. This podcast today, this interview with you is, 
uh, we hope going to be really helpful for our listeners. So uh, the reason we hope it'll be helpful is that today what we're talking about is, uh, is your work in, in promoting kingdom diversity, both at Southeastern and in the broader evangelical world. Um, and, and so when we're thinking about justice and the gospel and race and ethnicity, uh, we're hopeful that, that you can teach us. And so I would love to start off our interview with a, uh, give us, give us a little bit of a biography. Uh, you, right now, not only are you the, uh, the head czar, no, the, uh, the director of kingdom diversity, you're also, what else, what else are you doing these days in your ministry? Yeah. So oftentimes I end up doing a, a good bit of consulting at other, um, sisters, seminaries, um, seminaries that are outside of the SBC universities, um, fortune 500 companies to, um, independent Christian schools. So I, I've been in a, in a variety of different, you know, areas talking about the diversity and, and racial reconciliation. I've also done a, a good bit of work, especially, um, in recent years with law enforcement, okay. just talking about, uh, law enforcement, community relations. And so, um, that's, that's been a, it's been a joy as well. That's good. And, and you are, oh, I can hear myself. Um, you are currently also the, um, the vice president of the Southern Baptist convention. Is that true? Well, you know, that was a, a year stint that I did as okay. first vice president of the convention, and that ended this past June. So that oh. was a year um, engagement, but it was it was a joy in my life to do that. A lot of work, but at the same time, uh, anything that's that's worth anything is going to be a lot of work. So uh, that was a good year, and I'm glad that I did it, and I'm glad it was a year. <laughs> <laughs> so, so first vice president. I obviously am not in my uh, into the. Um, you know, I am an SBC guy, but I I didn't even realize that you were you were done, and and I didn't know there was a first and a second vice president. So, uh, what was different about that first and second? Is he was well, he know, the assistant? It's, it's almost like having vice president, associate vice president. I mean, that's that's the way that they set it up back in uh, the, eight, the late eighteen hundreds when the when the um, when the system was really set in, set in place. So, the the nomenclature, which is basically the the names that they give the positions. I've just remained the same. Sure. So sure. did you ever call him the assistant to the vice president? <laughs> no, no, no. But it, it was neat being able to serve. I mean, we were able to do some things like to represent to represent the Southern Baptist Convention uh, several places. For example, at the White House, when we were talking about uh, the conversation on DACA, you okay. know, being advocates for especially that unique subset of uh, of immigrants who came with their parents without any sort of, uh, I mean, basically they just, as opposed to crossing state lines, like I did when I was growing up, they crossed a, a national boundary uh, and they were just in the car or they were just with their parents and didn't really have any say in the matter. And so we were trying to advocate um, to, to our, to our, um, our federal government to, to say, Hey, let's, let's, let's begin to think through this more carefully, uh, particularly for that, for that subset of immigrants. Man, that's good. That's some good some other things that we were able to do. And, um, you know, this, so yeah, it was a fantastic year. Fantastic year. Good. And you're glad that it was just a year. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Cause I, cause the, uh, the, the interesting thing is that your, your current job continues on. So I was still teaching classes at Southeastern seminary. I was still associate vice president for diversity here. And so, uh, still doing some consulting here yeah. and there. So I was trying to, you know, curtail some of those other things, but really, you know, life just kept going and that was an added, an add on. Yeah, that's right. So, um, now you also are podcasting, you're also podcasting at beyond the lectern. Yeah. So from the lectern is our, lectern. Um, our media platform for the Kenya university initiative. It's comprised of blogs and, uh, on those, in those blogs, we have some book reviews. We have, um, you know, just people who are, who are just contributing to, to thoughts there who are from, from our, from our seminary family and, and beyond. Um, then we have uh, a podcast where we, you know, just talk about lots of different contemporary events. And then we have a video as well, a video series as well. And so in each of those, our goal is to um, essentially talk about these issues of racial reconciliation, diversity, justice, and what have you, and really give a biblical and theological worldview in that 
but most importantly to give uh, ministers of the gospel, if you're ministering in a, a church context or a parachurch context, tangible tools to go about making manifest God's plan for every tribe, tongue, and nation in your ministry. Excellent, excellent. So that's a that's that's from the lectern. Excellent resource. Now, Walter, could you give us like a maybe a two or three minute biography? How did you get to where where you are now, doing what you're doing now? Yeah, which is really funny how that happened because I never set out to be uh, sort of a chief diversity officer slash theology professor type. But so I was born in Chicago, raised in California. Uh, I say that because I was I moved to California with my family when I was about six years old. Um, just grew up there. I went from a monocultural experience in the South side of, Ch- of Chicago to a very multicultural experience in Southern California, grew up there, um, came to know Christ at an earlier age. Uh, but it's, it was great to see that my faith grew as my world grew also. And so I was blessed to have parents who were really trying to walk out, uh, their faith, uh, that they, that they came to know Christ in college and, and, you know, just before me. And so it was great to see them walking in obedience, um, discipling us, discipling others. And then I graduated from, from high school, went on to my second monocultural experience in, a, in opposed to the all black everything that was in the South Side of Chicago. It was completely opposite. I was an extreme minority uh, in college uh, in the cornfields of the Midwest. Mm. <laughs> and then um, I studied biblical and theological studies. And then I, I went on the seminary because I felt like the Lord was calling me to prepare to be a biblical counselor. And um, after that, you know, in seminary, you know, I had lots of questions. I was really enjoying my studies at Southeastern. Uh, in the middle of my MDiv, I read a book called The, the Decline of African-American Theology and by Thabiti Anyabwile. And it just brought up a lot of interesting questions that I uh, had been wrestling with. Like, what is the idea of liberation? What does God have to say about uh, oppression? What does God have to say about uh, a lot of the uh, difficult treatment that uh, persons of color in America have endured? And so a lot of those questions are questions that I have asked myself, but didn't really have any help in answering those, having gone to uh, two evangelical institutions at that point. But really, uh, it just sort of stirred a lot in me. So I had more questions than answers. And then I, I had more questions than you know, folks to go to to ask for answers. And so uh, that really began to transform me from a person who wanted to be a pastor to somebody who would end up being more of a scholar type with a pastor's heart, uh, because I just was really trying to dig into those questions that I knew others would have coming behind me. And I didn't want them to be in the place where I was, yeah. not having somebody who was uh, committed to the authority and the uh, veracity of scripture to ask them to. So uh, went, went and did a THM because I was scared to jump into a PhD straight away. Uh, and then I finished the, the THM with David Hogg, which if you can climb Mount Hogg, you can climb any mountain, academically speaking. So then I went over to the, the University of Aberdeen and uh, began a PhD there in, in theology. And so, um, you know, in all that, uh, during my THM, I was the, the teaching fellow for Dr. Ashford, our current provost. And um, through that, they the um, administration ended up offering me a an opportunity to teach theology if I were to get a PhD. And then um, during the PhD process, I began to, to ask questions about diversity and culture and um, just to, to see how more types of people can receive the quality education that I got from different uh, from different cultures. And then also to apply the, the sort of missional, uh, robust sort of Christian worldview to more cultures than the, just the one that was dominant at Southeastern. Good, good. Okay. All right. Well, um, man, I'm thankful that you have listened to God's call. Now, as you were talking, I was thinking you would make a good biblical counselor, uh, but <laughs> but I'm glad that you've you've answered his call and, uh, and, and really leading the way in some of these conversations. And you have been an incredible help for me, and I hope, I hope to have you help me some more today, and, and by doing that, help our listeners. So, hey, let me ask you a few questions. Um, you know, often when I'm engaging with someone about uh, racial issues of justice, issues of how justice and the gospel overlap, uh, really even about politics, uh, whether they're church members or people outside of the church, and if I'm turning on the news, which I try not to do too much uh, unless it's local, um, I lose a lot of hope. Uh, 
you know, there's some discouragement in, in some of the conversations. And so I'm wondering for you, you must have all kinds of conversations way beyond what I'm, what I'm encountering as a local church pastor. Uh, but I would love for, to hear what kind of hope you have as you look around in the evangelical churches and communities that are, uh, that are served by evangelical churches. Um, what is your hope for, for the future of ethnic reconciliation and justice? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I am hopeful. Uh, theologically speaking, we do know that it is all going to culminate in this Revelation 7, 9, and 10 picture of every tribe, tongue, and nation. But even beyond that, um, we also know that the gates of hell won't prevail against, you know, God's work in the church. But really, um, in a more practical way, in seeing and judging our uh, trajectory on that, you know, in that direction, I've been encouraged by having conversations with brothers and sisters who are serving in different places, who are uh, in positions in positions of authority and leadership in their local churches or in their ministries, who are really taking seriously this this call to uh, to reread the Bible in a way that accounts for the reality of people coming together that they, that the gospel is penal substitution uh, for the for the remission of sins to 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 make right our broken relationship with God but it is also doing the work of bringing people together yeah and, um, and also reading sort of systemic social brokenness which is basically also a result of the fall that Christ is going, going to ultimately uh, you know undo in the kingdom so that all of creation, all of society, all of civilization uh, is makes manifest the characteristics of himself. And so uh, there, lots of folks are, are beginning to really jump into and be committed to reading the scripture in that way. And as a result of that, you know, it's, it's been good to see people, uh, not perfectly, but, you know, at least give really good efforts to move forward in their places of ministry. And I, and I say not perfectly on purpose because, you know, uh, I, I'm not looking for perfection. To have perfection is to be uh, wanting and desiring the kingdom now, and we're not, we're not going to have that. But uh, I think the Lord is going to be honored with people making genuine strides, jumping out of their comfort zones, leading in a way that is uh, accords with a reading of God's word that is going to um, rid sin and brokenness as, as far as the curse of Genesis 3 is found. And so basically when I turn on the news, I get really discouraged, which I, I don't do that much either. But oftentimes, uh, on you know, what we have to keep in mind is on the news they're picking fights with people. They're trying to um, you know get views. They're trying to yeah. uh, you know uh, get views so they can get advertising money from companies and what have you. So they're, they're not setting up and uh, you know a conversation that they even believe is going to be reasonable. They're right. just trying to set up a fiasco like an old Jerry Springer type scene in order to get people to watch. So um, that's very discouraging. If you, if you watch that alone, it's very discouraging. Even, you know, if you listen to Christian talking heads, sometimes some of them are, are very discouraging because they're just pointing out the worst and everything, uh, which critique is necessary, but also uh, love and charity and affirmation of brothers and sisters who are doing their best to do good work, who, are, who don't really know how to do it, right. uh, yet they want to, so they need someone to come alongside them and help. Uh, demonstrate what that looks like. And so I'm encouraged by folks who are pressing forward like yourself and others who uh, are saying, hey, the word says this and we want to be obedient. That's good. That's good, man. So um, I want to come back and, and jump in on a couple of the, the things that you brought up there, in particular, um, this idea of helping helping people to see, especially in my, you know, I'm a white evangelical. Uh, and so I can't, I can't help it. That's just who I am. And, and, uh, and I definitely would have explained the gospel primarily vertically in this sense of, uh, you know, the, the penal substitutionary atonement theory, uh, th this idea of, of being made right with God through the shed blood of his son. Uh, I'd love to jump back in on this idea of the, seeing the horizontal aspects of the gospel as well. Um, and I also, but, but first I, I'm wondering, um, Keep keep going. Keep giving me hope. Uh, I'd love to know if maybe if you could highlight one or two signs of hope and grace that you've seen, like on the ground, boots on the ground. I was listening to uh, from the lectern, and you and Cortland were talking about um, uh, the the uh, 
how a lot of our theological heroes have shady pasts. You know, there, there's a there's a complicated nature to anybody because they're human. So you go back and you look at uh, maybe Augustine's view on women and Martin Luther's view on Jews, Jonathan Edwards owning a slave. You can kind of run through the gamut and, and everybody's going to, you know, skeletons are in everybody's closet. And so you guys were doing some great stuff talking about that. And uh, you mentioned something about um, having a, a student come and talk about a professor who was praying uh, Puritan prayers before classes. And that seemed like a little sign of hope for me. So maybe you could highlight that or, or any other stories you can think of um, just where you see some, some hope in, in, in moving forward. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, uh, I will come into that student um, and, and that story there. Uh, another sign of hope is that I've had more conversations with leaders of organizations. So there's, there's been a lot more humility on the tip tops of organizations and churches and schools that, uh, that I haven't seen before. Good. And, um, you know, and, 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 and it's <clears throat> right now, uh, October 17th, 2018, <laughs> I'm not sure when this is going to post, but it'll post uh, today. There, there are five. Um, entity heads is what we call them in Southern Baptist life, five presidencies open and uh, for the Southern Baptist Convention, two seminaries, Lifeway, which it does a lot of, you know, uh, curriculum, books and what have you. Um, Brahman and Holman's a part of that. If you're unfamiliar, uh, the Gospel Project is a part of that. If your church uses that. Uh, and then also the, the, the uh, International Mission Board and the Executive Committee uh, presidency, which is like the, the, the head honcho of everything sort of holds it all like it's a small group of people that sort of holds it all together so all i have to say is that um i'm i'm hopeful that very humble persons are going to get in those positions uh having heard some of the conversations from the boards of trustees the the search committees that are, are doing that work um I'm, I'm really grateful for the the types of characteristics that they're looking for in those people so i, I think we're going to see uh, a different type of leader uh, in, in positions of power who can then not see an organization as a means or a mechanism to serve them, but they're going to flip it on its head and say, okay, you know, looking at this organization, now I have an opportunity to serve everybody in it as opposed to them serving the tip top. And so I'm, I'm hopeful for that. I, I think I'm seeing all sorts of signs that those positions uh, and, you know, and I just mentioned those five because there are presidencies of massive evangelical institutions, but uh, I do see signs beyond Southern Baptist life as well. And so, um, you know, just I, I think the types of leaders that we're going to get are different, uh, and, and that's a good thing. But as far as um, the, the situation in the class here, yeah, there's a student who was in a class where the professor was reading Puritan prayers before class, and he was just struggling to, to figure out how in the world do I even stay in a classroom where they're reading prayers from somebody who owns slaves. And so this student came to me, to me, asking me what he should do about this. And I, you know, and I, I, I heard his heart in the, in the matter. I understand exactly what he's wrestling through. I, I had to go through the similar dynamics, especially when I was writing my THM thesis on Jonathan Edwards. Uh, and then, you know, having somebody come in and critique uh, his sort of blind spot stand in that stand in that place and just sort of uh, ask raise a lot of questions uh, namely James Cohn not, not that I, not that I agree with James Cohn hook line and sinker but just a sort of a dialogical partner with uh, Jonathan Edwards yeah. in that area so uh, you know I, I understand what he was what he's going through and oftentimes uh, it's just a matter of you know raising the the question to that professor you know saying hey you know there are some folks who are in here who are uh, who are working through some some difficulty so what, what we what we ended up doing, um, if I remember correctly, I'm, I'm trying to hear exactly what I said in the other podcasts. <laughs> it's probably, it probably fresh for me. I was just listening to it a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think that particular solution was, um, you know, they, they ended up reading all sorts of prayers from all sorts of people. Um, That's not right. Not that they, you know, was it? You had the, uh, the student actually went back and talked to the professor about it who was um, who was really open. And what I think you, what the professor ended up doing is inviting the students to, to bring, uh, prayers from their traditions that they knew of that may have been outside of, you know, particularly the Puritan Valley vision idea. So, so yeah, so it it was fantastic. So what, what in that story, what's good about that is that 
there was some honest engagement with uh, somebody who was hurt by something, uh, with somebody who was unaware yeah. that what they were doing was hurtful. And moreover, they thought what they were doing was a good thing, that they were sort of priming the, the spiritual pump of the students as they're coming in thinking about matters of church history and doctrine and, and these sorts of things. So <clears throat> the inclination is often when you have um, someone who is doing their best to do something good, they're often caught off guard when somebody comes to them and says, hey, this is actually striking me a different way than you intend. Yeah. So the, 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 the teachable moment amongst many or a teachable moment amongst many in this situation is, you know, to, to be able to listen, to be able to hear a brother or sister uh, from a different perspective, even if you haven't experienced that yourself, because this professor obviously hadn't experienced that or else he would have thought twice about how he was going about these prayers. And then also the student came with a great deal of humility as well. He wasn't accusing the professor of willingly, you know, reading these prayers, knowing what it was doing to African-American students in the classroom. He assumed that the best saying, you know what, you probably don't know this, but this is what's going on in my soul when you're doing this. And so then I think the result of that was fantastic. The, the reading of all sorts of prayers from all sorts of people, all with their various skeletons in the closet, because none of us don't have them. It's just a matter of what it is. Yeah. And so, and I think it was hitting the student and I should say students, cause there's more than more than one. There's just only one that came to me. It was hitting the students that, you know, this one skeleton is permissible and right. every other skeleton is not permissible. So if you if you have racial um, uh, insensitivities in your past or even in your present, it's okay, you know, because the Puritans are okay, right? We're, we're doing their prayers, but what what it now communicates is that hey, you know what? We're all sinners being sanctified. None of us are Christ Himself. We all have clay feet, and we are all crying out to God. So let's cry out to God from a, from a bunch of different perspectives, uh, acknowledging that none of us are perfect. That's good. Yeah. You know, uh, you, you had in that, I don't know if it was that podcast or another one, I was challenged to think through how, uh, how my white evangelical pastors, friends, uh, myself included have been, uh, well, not myself in this case, but, uh, are often hesitant to quote someone like a Martin Luther King Jr. because of, um, you know, issues with his things, maybe something he said in seminary as a young man, uh, did in his life, you know, the, there's flaws there. And so, but they're not hesitant at all to quote Jonathan Edwards or Martin Luther or, and so even for, for my brothers and sisters, uh, to be, to be really aware of that, to be thinking through, you know, if I'm going to be willing to quote someone who owned a slave in a sermon on Sunday, uh, then I, I need not fear quote someone, uh, someone who's a black pastor who ha in, in the past who has, uh, clay feet, as you say. And so that, that was really helpful for me as well. Um, hey, let me ask another question here. So uh, this is, this is on, on the line of that, uh, that, that vertical and horizontal dimension of the gospel. Uh, I recently heard a lecture from Dr. Carl. Um, oh, who was it? Ellis. Yeah, Dr. Carl Ellis on A-side and B-side theology. Uh, this idea that A-side, you know, of a, of a record, A-side theology is um, kind of that traditional, what we think of usually theology proper, you know, dual natures of Christ, Trinity, these inerrancy of the scriptures, these sorts of things. And that we often as church leaders, and when we're looking for church leaders, that's it. That's all we think about. You know, if they can check the boxes and pass the quiz on, on that A side stuff, then we just pop them, we can pop them into leadership, but that we miss out on on B side theology, in particular, how we treat our neighbors, issues of justice and uh, and and um, ethnicity and and, and multi ethnicity and and that those things. So we'll we'll put a guy in leadership uh, who is maybe mean to people, even racist potentially, if he can check off all the A side stuff. Um, I I did so so I wanted to ask you something about that. So that was challenging for me thinking through how is it that we can. Uh, better evaluate B-side theology. And, and I guess that's my question. You know, the A-side stuff in some ways is easier because we can look back at creeds and councils and confessions and just say, hey, uh, do you believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man? And, oh, yes? Okay, well, that's check, check that one on the box. Uh, whereas with B-side stuff, do you love your neighbor is 
more nebulous. It's more difficult to sort of say um, you you missed the box there. And so I'm wondering, could you give us some uh, give me some some help as I'm thinking about uh, evaluating B side stuff in my own life and in the life of other of uh, potential leaders in our church? And and so yeah, I'd love to know how do I do that. Yeah, definitely. Which is a great question. And really, I, I think a, a lot of the way that we hire pastors, the way that we do uh, our searches are really based upon, as you said, knowledge. Do you know the information? Can you, you know, cite the, the formulations and, and what have you? Um, and um, really, I think that is a only a part of what, you know, of what we're, of what we're supposed to be checking. There, there is the, the knowledge base for sure. But uh I think that's easier to check because with, with a, with a, um, with a, with, you know, with, with examining someone's life, you've really got to follow them around. You, you, you've got to walk with them. You, you've got to see them interact with people. And uh, I think, unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of times the ways that we go about hiring and finding pastors is the same way that people go, go around hiring, um, you know, uh, finding and hiring their, their CPA, you know, or, or, or their, you know, or their, architect to build their house or something like that um it's, it's, it's basically um do you know the information do you know do you know the right stuff who's that do you know the right stuff yeah and so so really i think and, and that's a lot easier than actually seeing somebody love people seeing somebody care for somebody it really almost takes an apprenticeship type model to um not only demonstrate how that's done but also to uh, see if someone has caught that, you know? And so <clears throat> really, I guess, how, how do you do that? Is that one, you have to make sure that you're, uh, that the, that the knowledge side of it actually has a category for caring, which is, a, which is also problematic that we also don't have, because if, if we know, you know, if we can, if we can give you the nuances of Chalcedon, the fact that, you know, Christ is fully God and fully man, if we can, you know, give you Nicaea, you know, if we can give you all these things, that still does not mean that we understand the theological necessity of side B. Right. And so, uh, so, so even, even, even that side is still not left unscathed in this conversation. And so if the, our, the, if our side A doesn't even have a plausibility structure for, to uphold the side B, that's even also problematic. So it's sort of a both and have to be evaluated again. Good, good. That's helpful. Thank you. Um, hey, so can you give me, so uh, we've got church members and, I, and I've talked to many, you know, we've hosted some race and justice and gospel seminars in our area and uh, have had a chance to talk to a lot of church members of, of multiple churches who are frustrated. Uh, now, they're frustrated oftentimes on either side of the spectrum. Either they're frustrated that their pastor has no seeming concern for justice, uh, no seeming concern for ethnic conciliation, or they're frustrated with the opposite. You know, you've got some people who are just frustrated that their pastor mentions things like systemic racism or um, injustice in his sermons. Um, so I would love, help us, help us, give us some advice, advice for church members frustrated. Maybe let's start with uh, frustrated with their with their pastor's lack of concern for B side for justice uh, in their communities. You know, I think that this is a good question to answer because I think oftentimes the Lord might give us a passion because He wants us to uh, be that agent of change in the community in which we in which we are. I think that uh, we obviously through Scripture we know that we live lives not as individuals but in communities. And if we are admonishing, admonishing and encouraging each other uh, towards godliness and, and towards biblical living, um, if somebody in a community has a passion for something, they need to lovingly bring people along with them as they're going about doing things sure. toward that end. Oftentimes what we do is take this as, as an opportunity to chide people or to put our finger in their face to uh, reprimand them for not doing what the scripture says as they see it. So, so I would challenge that person who's concerned that their pastor or concerned that their, um, you know, everyone else in the church is not passionate about something. You know what? Say, you know, bring them into your own life. Say, Hey, I was just reading this book and here's what it says. This is how it's changed me. This is how it's challenged me and allow the spirit 
to, as you are trying to live faithfully, convict them of unfaithfulness in a particular area. Mm. And I'm sure that as you're, you know, trying to help them in some way, they're able to help you in a different way because obviously nobody's perfect. And so um, I, I think it's just the, the, the tendency is to want to get mad and frustrated and point the finger uh, without trying to bring people along in a healthy uh, Christ-like manner. And then also the tendency is to, after you've done that and they still haven't changed, is to jump ship. But if you jump ship, you're still going to have left that people who are stagnant, who uh, are, are with no help in this regard, uh, if the people who are passionate about it leave. And so, but, but even within that, the, there are, there's a spectrum of people, I think, in, in this conversation who are, um, especially part of the, the dominant culture, those who get it, who are excited about it, amen. Then there's a, a group who's, say, who's saying, you know what? I, I, I see this in the Bible, but I don't know what to do. Teach me. I'm wide open. Teach me. And then, then there's a, another category of people who are, you know, I'm, I'm still just hearing this in the scripture for the first time. I need to see it in the Bible. I'm trying to put the pieces together. I still just don't quite know. Those people, as well as those who are, you know, are in this place of just trying to figure all this out for the first time, they need somebody to come alongside them not to just leave them, you know, sort of abandoned. But then, of course, there are those people on this other extreme who are completely callous, are, uh, you know, are just indignant that this is not a biblical issue, who need to repent because they're just in wholehearted or just, you know, high-handed, high-fisted sin. And so, um, but I think that of those four categories I just listed, if you were able to catch them all, <laughs> I think most people are in those middle two. Yeah. And then, but in those middle two, they need people to walk alongside them as brothers and sisters. Yeah, that's good. You know what? And typically, I like that idea of the spectrum there. And, and in my experience with with other um, with other pastors who are walking in in these issues, even if they're just taking baby steps, you're right. I think most of the time they're in one of those middle two. And uh, if you're a church member and you're far on on one side, even someone in the middle looks like they're they're extremely on the other side. And so I like that idea of just uh, mm -hmm. coming alongside, realizing that you really do have something to offer. You can help lead. Uh, you can really help guide and direct your pastor through what you're learning. I, I remember you said something, Walter. I'm, I'm going to... It helped me, and it was something about how... And it was related to the incarnation and how we, how we ought to uh, move towards each other in these issues. And it was that we have to... Uh, really seek to learn and understand from one another, and that learning and understanding leads to uh, coming alongside of, which eventually leads to bearing each other's burdens. And so I think that was even in relation to uh, this question that I had, we had posed to you about colorblindness. Maybe you could speak to that for just a moment. It, it, should we be colorblind, Walter? Uh, no, I, I think it's well-intended. I think people who are colorblind think that they're doing a good thing uh, because they're saying, you know what? If we just let bygones be bygones, then we'll be able to start fresh and, and you know and clean. But the but the issue is is that because of race and racism in America in our in our history, what we find is that structures and systems and practices and policies and procedures that are shaping the realities in which we all live have been set based upon the racial bias that's been in society. And so, even if individually, you and I said, hey, we're going to be colorblind. I still think that's an illegitimate way forward because it's denouncing the beauty that God has uh, said in Scripture that we see in, in different cultures and races and things like that coming together. But even still, it, it just sort of uh, still doesn't fix the structural realities in which we find in society. So just to give a quick apologetic for a structural reality and its in its potential brokenness, and which is why you know colorblindness doesn't work. So we have to understand that we are, as theologians call it, call it God's vice regents. So in Genesis two fifteen, God says, you know, uh, He put Adam and Eve in the garden to cultivate and to keep it, or He put Adam in the garden to cultivate and keep the garden. So basically, the 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 people in this world have been given the task of actualizing the hidden potentials that God has left inside of creation. 
And we do this by developing civilization. We, we develop houses or sort of material stuff. We develop other material things to help us. We also develop immaterial things like organizations, enterprises, policies, and structures, you know, businesses. And so, um, but, what, what, but what we see is that in the same way that we are God's image bearers, you know, that which he has made, that which we make also bears our image, but we're fallen, so we don't do anything perfectly. So the immaterial realities that we create, especially as we're talking about, you know, businesses and governments and things like this, I'm not saying that governments and business and enterprise and, and things are bad. What I'm saying is that what we have to be is keenly aware of our theology and the fact that we are fallen. We are in need of redemption, which is the reason why we come to, you know, the cross on our knees asking what must I do to be saved? Save me, oh God, because we know that we're broken. But the things that we do with our hands and the things that we make reflect that brokenness as well. And so because there's a history of racial bias in America, the structures and policies, practices, procedures, all those sorts of things reflect that as well. And what we have to do is, is to begin down that path of undoing those realities so that we have a society that really does reflect uh, reflect the care, the compassion, and the kindness of the God of God to everyone who lives in the spaces, either the schools or the towns or the uh, businesses that we're engaging in. And so, colorblindness doesn't really begin to answer that question uh, about the the long term, ongoing systemic ramifications of racism in America. Uh, nor does it uh, see what God says is good which is this sort of every tribe, tongue, nation reality that is actually still remaining racialized in our differences, unified in Christ in the kingdom. We don't mm. become this sort of monocultural reality in the kingdom. That's good. That's good. Thank you. Hey, let me ask, I got just two more questions for you. One is, uh, recently there was a statement on social justice and the gospel uh, that uh, the, the guys out there, MacArthur and his his guys out there put out, and uh I was wondering if you would be willing to comment on that, specifically what's helpful in the statement and what isn't helpful in the statement, you know, if as you see it. You feel comfortable yeah, so commenting I, I, on that? Yeah, so I think a driving concern about this statement that I can affirm is that they're, they're really concerned about losing the gospel. Uh, I think that sometimes we want to put too many things in the gospel, which if everything is the gospel, then nothing is the gospel. And so I, I do affirm that desire. Uh, however, I do see that they're defining the gospel as the penal substitutionary atonement reality that we mentioned earlier. Mm. So if, if, if the gospel is only for the saving of souls to go to heaven, then embodied reality in the world in which we live in is just, uh, it's, it's, it's very inconsequential. But, but what I would contend is that the, the, the biblical story is a story of redemption. And that redemption stretches out to any and everything that was affected by the fall of Genesis 3. Hmm. So anywhere that we see brokenness is the exact place where the gospel is going to come to bear. So that does include people, but it also includes the creation itself that's groaning. And we see this in earthquakes and tsunamis and, and even uh, hurricanes that we've seen recently. So even and then also the relationships between one person and another are also in, in that vein. But then in this society, in this city that's going to come down from the sky in Revelation 22, what we are going to assume is that in that city, there's going to be no systemic injustice. There's no going to be no systemic bias or racism that privileges one group over another, whichever group that might be. It's going to be a place where everybody can flourish, where everyone is uh, able to live out their creational design as image bearers of God in a way that is, is fuller than it's ever have been because we're actually living fully in a place that is, you know, uh, chuck full of the, the, the characteristics of God. We're, being, we're able to exude them perfectly and all those sorts of things. So I, I, I really think they have a very narrow understanding of the gospel, and I don't think I'm watering it down. I think I'm seeing how big this story of redemption actually is without with, without feeling the, the necessity to privilege uh the the dynamic that christ is saving souls god is saving souls 
Uh, that's for sure. I'm, I'm not denouncing that. I'm not saying that that's, you know, uh, you know, something to be changed because we do need that. But I, I do see more than that as well. Yeah. And, and, and it does seem as though when they are making that statement, they're drawing a line in the sand that makes you feel like if you believe the gospel is more than this, then you may be on the wrong side or something like that. So I, I appreciate this. Uh, so really the idea being we need to really have a, a more robust view of the gospel that would inform what we think about when we think about how the gospel has effect on society and justice and multi-ethnicity. I love that picture of, of uh, Revelation 20 and 21, which is connected to Isaiah 60 and 61, that the that the kings will be bringing uh, their their treasures with their ethnicities like to the king. And so there's this idea of uh, multiculturalism still there, the, this idea that we, we will be flourishing. That's really helpful. Hey, yeah, so, so, yeah, go ahead. Real, real quick, real quick. I think one thing that I think is helpful also is that I think the gospel of redemption is still the same. Like Christ died, he rose again, so that so that everywhere where sin is found can be redeemed. And so I think every everything is every sphere, even people are an application of this good news, this gospel. Good. Good. So uh, let me ask one last question, and that is just, can you give us some recommended resources? So, and here's what I want to know. Um, uh, you know, I'd love to know some recommended resources for those of us who want to who wanna go further in, in, in this discussion and in the work of racial justice and uh, especially think maybe think about guys like me. I'm a, I'm a white pastor of a Southern Baptist church. You know, we've got a lot of, um, yeah, people maybe that are in, in my world listening. Uh, give us some resources. And then I'd love to also know, as you're recommending resources, and these could be podcasts, books, uh, people to follow on Twitter, just point us, point us in some good directions. Also would love to know, as you're thinking about that, uh, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do with my guys with the Bonhoeffer House is not just look to uh, people from different ethnicities when it comes to matters of justice, but also if I'm going to read um, theology, I can look beyond John Frame, right? Like, so as a matter of fact, I'm just going to highlight one really excellent book that I have right now on my desk called Plain Theology for Plain People, uh, which is a, a not shameless plug because Dr. Strickland is the one who has found this and, and republished it with an introduction by Charles Octavius Booth. Uh, so like you can, I can learn theology. I've been, this has been my morning devotional read for a while and it's really, really good. Uh, and so I, even just some resources where, where we might just go, Hey, you know, another voice, I, I don't have to learn history just from Mark Knoll. Justo Gonzalez has a lot to say too, with a different perspective. Um, you know, I don't have to learn theology just from John Frame, and this may be, yeah. Anyway, so, so just help help us point us in some some good directions for resources. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, um, <clears throat> just a real quick background about why we do this. We're, we're 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 looking at new voices to incorporate into our listening and reading because we know that we have blind spots, and we know that uh, other people have blind spots, but. If we get with other people who have different blind spots, we can see better together than we can apart. So in that, in that vein, uh, some folks that follow that I think are very helpful on Twitter is Jackie Hill Perry, uh, Show Baraka, um, Propaganda, The Ambassador, uh, all, all wonderful, um, very theologically rigorous uh, saints. Uh, some, some, some sites that I would um, recommend to you. Uh, just talking about, Public life and politics is the and campaign. Uh, campaign, very very helpful stuff there. Uh, primarily from a uh, from an urban perspective, and that's like population density. Not necessarily black, but uh, this there's a lot of African Americans represented in that in that um, uh, conversation. The front porch also, uh, Jude Three Project, which is uh, through Lisa Fields, great great thinker, great uh, organizer there. Um, I, w- I want to put before you because uh, Jesse was m- mentioning that there's lots of different things you can learn from people of color and not just about race or just about justice or things like this. So um, as far as preachers, uh, Daniel Kim is fantastic. Charlie Dates uh, at Progressive Baptist in Chicago is great. H.B. Charles is wonderful. Uh, Dahadi Lewis is amazing. 
um, some other academics to follow who are talking about lots of different stuff. Uh, George Yancey is a Christian sociologist. Uh, Karen Ellis um, is, is a, a great thought leader. Vincent Baycote from Wheaton College. Soon Chan Ra. I mean, the list goes on and on of people. Uh, Christopher Brooks talking about apologetics, both in the urban context and even just thinking about the relationship of faith and culture, as um, as your podcast does often. So there's lots and lots of folks out there, and I'm just scratching the surface. But I know already people are going to have to stop and rewind and stop uh, and rewind just to get that stuff down. No, they won't even have to do that because we will put links to those resources in the show notes. And so, oh, yeah. Yep. So, hey, Dr. Strickland, I really appreciate it. this has been helpful. Uh, Dr. Strickland, you have been a, uh, a good friend and a good counselor over the last few years. You've preached in our pulpit at Valley Bible Church in, in Radford, Virginia. You have done seminars for the Bonhoeffer House, and, uh, and I think we're going to have you back again in our area coming up in March. I really appreciate you giving your time for us here on the podcast. Uh, and listen, listeners, go out and let's—, let's um, Let's buy some some of these copies of Plain Theology for Plain People. Walter probably gets like a nickel every time they sell one of these. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I wanted it to be published so bad that I uh, took a, such a small advance that I don't get anything. <laughs> okay, well, we can you know we can still learn from them, and it's still a oh, worthwhile yeah. buy. <laughs> hey, yeah, thank you. That's, that's that's what I wanted to do. Thank you again for your time. I appreciate it. We hope to have you back on one day in the future, maybe when you're up in these parts. So thank you, Dr. Strickland. Thank you for having me. I look forward to, to, to being there with you at Valley Bible on the Bonhoeffer House again. So there we have it, friends. There is a spectrum. I love those four quadrants that people live in. Jesse and I are have been kicking around the phrases, whether someone's woke, uh, too woke, or broke on these matters, there is a spectrum where we all need to move towards one another in love. And we will have those show notes up for you. Lots of good links, preachers, books, things recommended there, including Dr. Strickland's book. I love his heart there to want to get resources out there for use and not just being about the, about the money. And I don't know what Jesse's talking about with a nine-year seminary as, as if that's long. This spring, my, my, my goodness, I'm going on 19 years in that world. We're glad to be with you here on the Gospel Underground. The Gospel Underground is a joint production of Power of Change and the Bonhoeffer House. Send your questions, feedback, uh, topics you'd like for us to take up to info at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place on the borderlands between the church and culture. We'd like to see you out there. Peace. <laughs>